This is Everything Energy. Produced by the International Energy Agency. Hello and welcome back to Everything Energy, the IEA's new podcast, where we take a look at current energy issues as well as the future of the global energy system. I'm Tanya Dihan. And I'm Chad Mawad. And in today's episode, we welcome Tim Gould, who runs our Energy Supply Outlooks and Investment Division. So, hi, Tim. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Jan. Thanks very much, Tanya. So today we'll be talking about how the COVID crisis has impacted energy investments this year. We expect that they will see their biggest decline ever, given the global impact of this health crisis. This has, of course, been a key theme for the IEA in recent months. And as we come out of the month of May and into June, we're starting to get a clearer picture of how the year is going to shape up. And some of the findings uh, are worrying. There's a great risk that the current lockdown may lead to a lock-in of obsolete technologies for years to come. Tim, before the crisis in 2020, we were expecting investments in the energy sector to rise. This actually would have been a reversal of recent trends. That's right. I mean, we spend a lot of time looking at what the companies are saying, what governments are saying about their investment plans and because those investments are some of the best guides that we have to the direction that the energy system goes in the future. So if you want to understand where we're going to be in five, 10 years time, um, one of the best ways to do that is, is really to look at where the money's going today. Um, and the signs initially for 2020, when companies and others starting putting together their plans for the year, um, were quite bullish. Um, particularly some power sector companies were signaling that they were planning to step up their investments this year. Um, but then, of course, uh, as you mentioned up front, um, that has had an abrupt reversal with the, with the events of 2020. Yes, indeed. In fact, this has not been an ordinary year in any sense of the term. And we obviously now see major declines in energy investments across the board, across the energy sector. So walk us through where you see the biggest drops this year. You need to differentiate across different parts of the energy system. But one thing that all sorts of energy investments have had in common is just that practical disruption to investment activity because of lockdowns, because you can't move goods around the planet, you can't move the people to where you need them for the investment activity. And that's just meant that procurement schedules have been shifted back and completion dates have been pushed back into the future. So that's been common to the investment picture across many parts of the energy sector. But then you start to have to differentiate between different uh, sectors. And there's the, there's the, the bit of the energy system that's been hit hardest by a long way is, is oil and gas. As you know, because of the restrictions on mobility, oil demand was hit very hard. Prices came tumbling down. Uh, the revenues going into the oil sector this year are a fraction of what they were last year. In fact, we looked at the, uh, the spending by consumers on energy, and we reckon that uh, consumers around the world will be spending roughly $1 trillion less this year than they were last year on oil products. And that feeds through into all sorts of uh, interesting questions. It's causing huge fiscal strains in many of the countries that are dependent on hydrocarbon revenues um, in the Middle East and elsewhere. Um, but it's also meaning that there's that much less money coming in um, to the oil and gas sector. So when we look at 2020, when we look at the revisions to the capital expenditure plans that have been announced by companies, uh, we think that spending capital expenditure this year on oil and gas is going to be about one third lower um, than it was uh, last year. The volume of the reduction in other parts of the energy system is 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 lower, so around 10% less 
in power, a reduction also in spending on energy efficiency, uh, reduction in spending on, on coal supply. But if you add all of that up, um, there's around $400 billion less being spent on new energy supply projects this year uh, than last year. That includes also spending on uh, efficiency improvements uh, and so on. Um, that's a 20% reduction. We haven't seen anything like that before. So before we, we get into these um, other sectors, uh, let's just stop a little bit on, in the oil and gas sector and, and, and let's uh, talk about shale a little bit because that's been one part of the um, industry that, that has been hard, uh, hit the, the hardest, maybe the fastest. Can you just give us a sense of what's happened in, in, the, uh, in the shale sector? I think there's a slightly broader context here. So any part of the energy sector that had kind of pre-existing conditions coming into the crisis has been proven to be very vulnerable. And shale was one of those. So shale was struggling to generate significant free cash flow uh, when prices were up at 50, $55 a barrel last year. Um, and so there was a lot of pressure from investors um, to rethink business models, to focus on capital discipline, to start generating uh, returns for the, for the investors. That was true at $50, $60 a barrel. Um, so it's no surprise that at the sort of oil prices we've seen this year, uh, you, the outlook for many highly leveraged uh, shale companies looks, uh, looks really tough. So investor confidence, access to capital has, has really collapsed this year. Um, and, and we expect investment in shale to fall by around half in 2020 um, compared with last year. And so that adjustment on the U.S. upstream side for oil has been, has been really abrupt this year. So what does that mean? I mean, what are the implications of this? We're talking about this crisis, which in some parts of the world, as we're deconfining, uh, seems to be slowly uh, getting under control. But here you're talking about very abrupt changes or drops in investment. So what is the sort of mid to longer term picture of the implications of this? The adjustment in shale is quite quick. Um, but just the nature of the investment cycle in shale is, is you have a quite quick turnover of, of capital. You generate um, the oil quite, quite quickly and then it declines quite rapidly. And so the, the feed through between the investment decision and the oil production, uh, you know, is fairly rapid. You know, in other parts of the, uh, the oil sector, that takes a lot longer because the projects have longer lead times. And so you might see some, some implications for shale already in the next year or two in terms of the production profiles. Um, but if you were looking at typical conventional projects, um, you know, that, that implications for eventual supply um, are more likely to be visible out into the 2020s, maybe even an, out to, to 2025. And that creates a problem because, you know, the, the effects of today's cuts are felt only in a few years time. Um, but in a few years time, hopefully, we will be well into a recovery phase and maybe even beyond the recovery phase. Um, so there's a real chance that that, might, that mismatch in a way might set up new price cycles, might set up new commodity cycles, might mean more volatility in future, um, especially if oil demand starts to return back towards its pre-crisis trajectory. One other implication of this lower investment uh, environment is also the pressure to reduce or the opportunity that some countries have to reduce fossil fuel subsidies. Is this something that you know countries need to tackle right now? What's, what should be the policy strategy that you would recommend? 
So the IEA has been for many years, um, um, well, we've been analyzing these fossil fuel uh, subsidies, and we've also been a, a strong advocate of, of phasing them out. So a strong supporter of international efforts to phase them out. Um, and the way that it works is that when fuel prices come down, as they have done uh, sharply in 2020, that actually makes subsidy reform that much easier. Because the adjustment between your fixed local price and the international price is much smaller. It doesn't have the same implications for households. It doesn't have the same implications for inflation. And there's a particularly strong rationale for that in some of the major oil and gas producers and exporters, which in fact are where many of these um, subsidized prices for oil and gas are concentrated. And um, because, as I mentioned, they, there's huge fiscal pressures on these uh, on these economies. And so tackling these wasteful subsidies, which only encourage, you know, um, excessive consumption of the of the product concern. I mean, that's that's a good way to set up a, a slightly different model of recovery um, in, in many parts of the world. And, and so we're, we're arguing that now is really a golden opportunity uh, for countries to build those kinds of reforms into their into their recovery strategies. Uh, Tim, you mentioned the 10 percent reduction that we're expecting to see in the power system. Um, we can all see how the crisis is highlighting our growing dependence on electricity, not only in terms of the emergency response to the health crisis, but also how many of us have relied more heavily on digital communications during times of physical distancing. What impact does decreased investment on electricity have on the development of sustainable power systems and the security of electricity in the future? The power system is, is, is very different from, from oil and gas. It's much more local. There is different, slightly different dynamics in, in different parts of the world. But the one common denominator is that pretty much everywhere um, we're expecting that electricity pays a larger part in the future um, than it has in the past. So it's a, a rising share of our consumption. It's at the center of our modern lives. So at the, uh, you know, at the heart of the, the, the concern that we have about the numbers for investment this year in electricity is, is just a recognition that we cannot afford that mismatch between the money that's going into the power sector and the, the, the central place that electricity has in strategies for economic development and indeed for energy transitions. And there's two areas that I think are, are worth highlighting. Um, one is that um, the investments in renewables have taken a bit of a hit um, down to, uh, 10% this year. Um, it's been particularly difficult for um, distributed solar PV. Um, lockdowns, strained household budgets, you know, small businesses are not going to be investing in that those rooftop uh, solar PV uh, projects that they might uh, have, 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 have planned for at the start of the year. So that's been the sector that's been hardest hit. Um, but the one that we highlighted in the report and the one that was highlighted also in our electricity ministerial roundtable last week was, was about the infrastructure. So the, the way that we transport electricity around the system because that is really the backbone of our systems today. And they, that infrastructure becomes even more important in clean energy transitions. And we're concerned that there's been a declining trend in investment in grids already for a few years. And, and that's, uh, that took another hit. Uh, that's likely to take another hit in, in 2020. So there's some warning signs here for, for the power system. So we have to make sure, policies, policymakers have to make sure that these, uh, the power systems remain reliable even as they're transformed by the rise of clean energy technologies. Just before we move on to uh, talking more about renewables, 
Um, one of the findings of this analysis um, is that coal is picking up in Asia. Can you tell us what's behind that growth? If you read the the you know the newspapers, the coverage in 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 Europe and in parts of North America, um, you'd be forgiven for thinking that coal is is just on the way out. Um, but if you look at the data that's coming out of of parts of Asia, um, you know there's a there's a bit of a corrective that we need to make to that. Uh, um, Coal-fired power has not had a good year by any standards. Um, and certainly the amount of new coal-fired capacity um, that is uh, being introduced in the system is a long way from what it was uh, five years ago. But there is still a steady stream of new coal-fired plants being approved and coming into operation um, in, in, in many parts of Asia. What we looked at in particular was uh, the data for the first quarter of 2020. Uh, and we saw that this is mainly in China, but not exclusively in China, that um, the rate at which new coal-fired plants are being approved um, is roughly twice as fast as it was in the course of 2019. Uh, and that's, of course, a, a warning sign for future emissions, um, because many of these coal plants, uh, their, their operating lifetimes might be certainly in excess of 20 years and up to 40 years or even more. So you really are locking in uh, uh, problems for the future uh, from an environmental perspective um, by, by approving these sort of plans today. So part of the findings in the report is if we go back to 2015, we see that investments in clean energy technologies as a whole have been relatively stable. Um, you, and you mentioned for this year, some fairly sharp drops for renewables, uh, particularly distributed PV and, and really across the board. When you, when you look at the level of investments this year, can you just give us a sense of, um, is that going to be enough to meet our long-term sustainable targets? Because one of the questions that keeps coming up is, is fundamentally, what is, has been the impact of the crisis on the clean energy transition? The clean energy transition is all about a transformation. It's about changing the nuts and bolts, the infrastructure that we use um, to provide all of our energy services. And of course, that transformation requires investment. And that's why we're particularly concerned that the investment in a suite of clean energy technologies is not picking up as fast as it would need to in order to have a successful transition, in order to tackle, in order to tackle climate change. If you look at our numbers since 2015, investment in clean energy technologies has been pretty flat at around $600 billion a year. And that's, remember, the period since the uh, Paris Agreement was concluded. So you might have expected to see, you know, in fact, a sharp pickup in that sort of investment. There's a sort of caveat here because the costs of solar PV and wind in particular have come down sharply over that period. So you're getting those dollars are working harder over time. They're de they're, you're deploying more capacity uh, for the same amount of money. But still, in our view, um, right now, that share of clean energy spending in total investment is stuck, it's been stuck at around one third of the total. I mean, it really needs within the next 10 years to be up to around two thirds. So let's not kid ourselves that, uh, that you know, that there's enough money going into that transformation. Uh, the data that we have in the world energy investment um, suggests that it needs to pick up sharply and rapidly. And the problem that we have uh, with the with the current crisis is that people may, you know, this may in fact slow down aspects of that much needed transformation. Um, so in terms of that, where where do we need to see more spending and what kind of spending do we need to really get on track? There's a number of aspects to that. I mean, and there I'm reaching into the analysis that we do in the, in the World Energy Outlook about our sustainable development scenario 
And naturally enough, you know, renewable power is a big part of that. Picking up investment in the technologies that we know have strong business cases, solar PV, wind, onshore, offshore, a range of other renewable power technologies. We've talked a bit about infrastructure, also exceptionally important. Um, but we need to think beyond the power sector. Um, the power sector is only one part of the solution. And so there's a whole range of low carbon fuels um, that are needed for that transformation in the, in the sustainable development scenario. There are other technologies as well, the suite of technologies that including low carbon hydrogen, carbon capture utilization and storage, um, where investment up until now has been relatively thin, um, but would need to pick up sharply in the years to come. And last but far from least, there's energy efficiency. In IEA analysis, it's clear that efficiency is gonna be a big pillar of clean energy transitions. Um, and there is a risk that in an environment where fuel prices are low, um, where budgets are stretched, people are not gonna invest in those efficient choices, in those new technologies uh, that, are that are gonna contribute to emissions reductions in future. So you mentioned um, the long-term work that you uh, also do as part of the World Energy Outlook and the setback in some ways that this crisis represents um, to meet the long-term sustainability goals. Um, and one of the key policy responses that the IEA has been pushing for is really to make sure that governments take uh, into account uh, the need for sustained and maybe accelerating investments in, in clean technologies in any of their recovery packages that are being considered. So where should governments step in? What is the uh, uh, advice now that we need to be putting forward uh, to make sure that this is not an opportunity that is lost um, um, you know, after this crisis? I think one way to answer that is, is look, at the, look at some of the risks that we see to the structural transformation of the energy sector. You know, many energy companies will emerge from this crisis with significantly weaker balance sheets and they could rein in investment plans or results. Um, you know, you're also going to have hesitations in households and in companies to replacing old obsolete equipment. Maybe they will feel, well, we can live with this for a few more years and wait till we uh, feel a bit more comfortable about making some of those choices. And um, maybe that uh, entrepreneur or that startup that has a promising new technology idea, maybe that access to venture capital might not be as um, you know, as readily available as, as, as it has been uh, up until now. Um, and I think governments can act in all of these areas um, if they build in energy and sustainability uh, into their recovery strategies. I mean, uh, as you know, we're going to be going into this in detail in a World Energy Outlook special report that's coming out, uh, that's coming out shortly. But we think there are big opportunities to, first of all, um, push some of those clean energy technologies that are ready, ready for the big time and uh, more rapidly into the system. So to, to, to create those incentives for, for capital to flow towards those technologies and also to accelerate a bit the turnover of the, of the equipment and the, you know, the infrastructure and um, that is a big part of the energy system, but which normally sticks around for a long time, but maybe there's ways then to encourage people to make more efficient choices when they buy their next car or when they buy their next appliance for the home. Um, and all of those elements can be usefully, in our view, worked into recovery strategies. Um, the particular focus that we're having um, in, in the new analysis is the elements that have that best optimal combination of 
things that are good for energy and good for uh, the economy as a whole. So where can we get the, 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 the clean energy technologies that deliver employment and that deliver uh, an economic boost as well? I think it's safe to say that we are all very keenly awaiting uh, the analysis that uh, is being put together for the WIO special report on sustainable recovery. That brings us to the end of this episode. Many thanks to Tim for joining us and of course to our listeners. Uh, you can take a look at this analysis and more in our latest World Energy Investment Report on our website at iea.org. Thank you, Tim. Great pleasure. Thanks very much for having me.